All right, this is episode 95 of the Walking Closer podcast, and this episode is titled Challenging Perspectives, Part 5. If you have been following along, I hope that you are enjoying this series because I'm really enjoying bringing these types of episodes um, to you. We have been talking about the Honor Shame Society. Specifically, that was a part of the culture during biblical times. Now, a lot of this stuff you still can see in various cultures around the world, uh, but obviously majority of this is going to be pretty foreign to us here in the West, especially uh, the United States. Um, and so it's important for us to um, learn about these things, remind ourselves of these concepts, and um, specifically as we read the Bible and interpret it. And uh, so we're talking about people who were born into a household that had a certain level of honor attached to it. And as a member of that household, you would be expected to protect and defend that honor of that house um, throughout the course of your life which would carry with it all sorts of implications and uh, even what would have been seen as justifiable actions in maintaining and defending that, that honor. So you're born with a certain level of honor and, uh, and even some shame when you understand the limitations of your honor or if your honor did have limitations. And uh, you would be expected to defend that and even add to it if, if possible. Okay. Now, one of the ways that you could acquire honor would be through what is called challenge and repost. And this was something that you would do with others, uh, particularly in a public setting, uh, who were considered your equal. And so you would challenge someone who was considered uh, the same status of honor on the same level as you. You could challenge them with a question and wait to see how they would respond. And uh, there would be this back and forth, which might include this question and responding back with another question. And, and you know, even if you didn't know the answer, uh, by responding with a quick, witty, sarcastic retort, you could gain the upper hand. And uh, this could go on until eventually someone backed down in, in defeat. And it, it was like a, a bit of mental jousting, a battle of wits, and uh, it was seen as appropriate and even even expected. So much so that I am told that every, every question could be viewed as a challenge, a challenge that, well, could be embarrassing if you had to admit you didn't know the answer or, or didn't have enough wits about you to respond in a way that pushed the question back upon the challenger. And uh, in fact, Jesus was engaged with this sort of, of tactic himself. Have you ever noticed how many times the gospel accounts mention that Jesus was questioned or challenged or, or people were trying to trap him? This is this, what I'm talking about here. This is what's going on. They are using this tactic to try and discredit Jesus by shaming him. Especially when you look at the setting in which he was questioned, his response, and then subsequently how the one who asked the question responded, it, it becomes clear that this is what's going on, and, and ultimately, well, ultimately it made, made him enemies, um, enemies who would respond from, well, their own place of honor and shame. And, and if you think about it, if, if they were shamed, um, what would they feel they needed to do? 
you know, figure out some way to bring them down, essentially. And uh, now you can imagine how these types of scenarios could could get out of hand. And so let's. Uh, I want to look at a few examples of this to point out what I am what I'm talking about here and what we're told of how the uh, how these things went down essentially in uh, various social settings. And so and hopefully through these examples, this will make a little bit uh, more sense to you. So. For instance, in Matthew 12, Jesus is in a synagogue. It's on the Sabbath, and there's a man in the synagogue who has a withered hand. Now imagine this. This man is innocently doing nothing, but the Pharisees seize the opportunity. They're looking for a a chance to corner Jesus, to question him, to discredit him, to bring some sense of shame upon him, and maybe even as like a, a quick way to get rid of him. And so they're in this synagogue. It's a public setting. Jesus is there. He has done some of this stuff before, and they see a man with a withered hand, so they seize the opportunity, and they ask, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then Jesus responds with a series of questions um, that reflects a similar situation, but of less importance, of less value. Which one of you would not do something like this, similar to this, if Let's say your animal got stuck in a pit. Which one of you would not deduce something that would reflect this very thing? And then he heals the man's hand. And the Pharisees then begin to plot to kill him. But Jesus gets out of town before they can do anything. Now, when you look at the story, granted, there are a few things going on in the text. But notice the tactic they are using. And I believe... It was a challenge that they were hoping to use to discredit him, to bring some shame upon him by showing how he was, well, willing to, well, disobey the law. And by doing so, uh, it would, well, discredit him, bring some shame upon him. Now, in their minds, they were probably thinking, surely he's not going to do anything because it is the Sabbath and everyone here will will see. Um and this is what it would reflect. And this will bring a certain level of dishonor, which would discredit him. But Jesus responds with a few questions of his own, and he pushes the very concept that they are challenging him with right back onto them and everyone else in the synagogue, and then he heals the man's hands, and no one can say anything. No one can come back. No one can challenge what he just did. The only thing they can do is try to kill him. Uh, another, Luke 20 is a good place to go. There's several, uh, I believe, examples that reflect this very concept that we're talking about here that is connected to honor and one's honor and one's shame. So there was this time Jesus was in the temple courts and he was teaching, and the chief priest and other teachers of the law and the elders came to him and, and they asked him, who gave you the authority to teach? And then Jesus replies by saying, well, I will ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? And so then they discuss it among themselves and say, well, if we say this, then he's going to say this, and then we will look like fools. And if we say this other thing, then all the people are going to be mad, and they're going to turn on us. And so they ultimately settle on saying, we don't know where it, where, where it came from. So then Jesus says, well, then I'm not going to tell you then. So, so I love this. So they challenge Jesus, but he responds in such a way that he throws the challenge right back on them, and they can't respond. They, so they, they try and trap a man and suddenly find themselves trapped, right? 
And this would have been an embarrassing uh, moment. And it was in front of everyone, all these, all the people to whom Jesus was teaching. Then a little later on in the same chapter, these guys send some spies to intermingle with the crowd of people who are listening to Jesus. They come and eventually they speak up. They, they begin to try to flatter Jesus, and then they ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. And so Jesus responds in such a way that they were, they're not able to trap him. Specifically, the text tells us they were not able to trap him in what he had said there in public. Like key words. And again, these words point to, the, I believe, the same tactics that, we're, that, that we're, we've been talking about. They are using these same tactics over and over and over again. You're going to see this over and over again. Um, and so what I'm suggesting to you is that what we're seeing here is this common practice of challenge repost being used in such a way, at least at times, to either try and control Jesus, to discredit him, and eventually try and trap him in such a way into saying something that they could use against him. So they couldn't come back. And this this is important to note. After you know, effort after effort, try after try after try after try of challenging Jesus— and not being able to overcome him in that way. They change their tactics uh, and, and to the point to where they, they use the same kind of challenge, um, like asking questions, but for the hopes of him slipping up and saying something that they could use against him. And in doing so, they would give them an ability to bring him to court. And that is what would happen there in court is a whole nother, whole nother ball game there. Put it this way. There's a reason why Jesus says, hey, if uh, someone's taking you to court, you need to try to settle this before you get there. Because once, if, if you're taken to court, there is a good chance that you're going to lose. And because it was extremely easy to buy off the judges. And so if someone is taking you to court, if they're willing to go through the 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 go through all of the mess of getting you to court, taking you to court, uh, there's a good chance that they have the ability and the power to uh, sway the courts in their favor. And so settle it before you get there. In other words, the courts were extremely corrupt. Okay, So they're looking for something, something that they can take him in on. So this going uh, back and forth um, with these challenge and repose with these religious leaders— Ultimately, uh, made made some some enemies. Jesus made some enemies, um, but he, he didn't hold back. And this eventually it does get him arrested and killed. And so, see, Jesus Jesus made enemies of some very powerful people, and time and time again, Jesus shames them as they challenge him, and um, they're ultimately going to seek revenge. And again, I, I think this is something people were aware of, and. They were aware that this could ultimately happen, considering that, well, the power that these men carried. So that's what I think is going on here. That's what I see. Um, now, there are some other places or situations where we see this challenge and repost in action. And, uh, for instance, uh, it seems Jesus was engaged in doing this when he was just a boy in the temple. Remember when he goes missing and his mother and father find him? He's sitting with the teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. And everyone who heard him, they were um, 
they were amazed at his understanding and his answers, which means not only was he asking questions, he was answering questions, which points to this challenge repost, or at least some form of it, this back and forth. Jesus is engaged with these religious teachers in such a way where um, everyone's gaining something from it. Uh, and so I think that's, that's another example, uh, at least of some sort of that concept in action. And I think it's possibly what's going on also in Matthew 15 with Jesus and a Canaanite woman. Um, Jesus was his disciples, and this Canaanite woman is crying out after Jesus and his and uh, asking for his help and casting out a demon from her daughter. And in the text, it seems Jesus is being portrayed as acting like the typical male of his time and how he responds. First, it seems he's just ignoring her, and, and when he finally responds, he well, basically calls her a dog. Now, on the surface, this is what it what is being portrayed. However, Jesus Jesus is the master teacher, and there's something much more powerful going on in this text. And uh, listen, this is the fact that he actually engages her, says something. But notice what happens. Uh, Jesus says, "Listen, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs." <laughs> then she responds by saying, "Yes." Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. Do you see what just happened? She has this witty comeback, and Jesus then rewards her for her great faith or her loyalty in sticking with her commitment to finding a solution for her daughter. And he grants her request, and, and he heals heals her daughter. Now, I have to uh, I have to say that I do believe several things are going on here. One of which is, you know, just demonstrating the the love of God to Gentiles in the presence of His disciples. Um, that's a that's a huge thing. But in relation to what we're discussing here, notice how this woman responded. She responds in a very witty way, and and at that moment. Jesus doesn't challenge her. It's like he acquiesces. It's like she's won. And he grants, he grants her wish. And uh, he's also, uh, I mean, in doing so, he's presenting his disciples with some things to chew on. Like, one of which is what he was saying by acquiescing and granting her requests. Right? And, and like in that moment, it was like he was conferring honor upon her. He engaged her in such a way that in the end, she came out on top. Like, think about that. Like, I wonder how many questions this this posed. You know, <laughs> I wonder how many questions they asked after after this encounter. And again, I, I think this points to this practice of this challenge and, and repost and. Um, Although I do believe that there's something a little deeper going on here, that Jesus is using the situation to teach his disciples. Or at least Matthew seems to be using it in, 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 a, in another way as well. Uh, but it, this does point to, I believe, this practice, this concept here. Um, okay, one more. 
So I think we also see this when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. But to set this up, let's back up to his baptism, okay? Because it is at his baptism that God ascribes honor to Jesus. He shows him favoritism. And you see this when he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, as a reader or a listener to this narrative, okay, um, this is a part of the picture that is being painted, that this man, you know, the divine has, has ascribed honor upon this man. From all accounts up to this point, was just a man. And then it's no coincidence that right after Jesus this happens, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted or challenged, okay? So at Jesus' baptism, you have this claim of honor, and it's this claim of honor that will be tested. This is why the tempted said, the tempter said, if you are the son of God, see, this is a challenge to the, to the ascribed honor claim. And if you're reading this, if you were listening, you know, to this being read to you, are you listening to the story being told? This is the picture that would be in your mind. Now, in this testing, we have another example of this challenge repost, okay? So the challenger's goal is to shame Jesus, to undo the honor that had been ascribed to him as the Son of God. And so he says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. And if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. But in both of these occasions, Jesus responds in such a way that pushes the challenge back upon the tempter. So the tempter has to come back with another challenge. So the tempter, after both of these, these statements, the tempter now has to change his tactics and essentially says, okay, Son of God. And that comes with a certain honor. But if you bow and worship me, I can honor you with the kingdoms of the world. And of course, if Jesus would do this, then the tempter would have succeeded in doing the honor ascribed to Jesus. But Jesus responds in such a way that the tempter could do nothing more but leave him and in doing so, the narrative paints a picture of the shame and dishonor um, at losing this challenge that he presented to Jesus. And so then with, with Jesus' response, it, aff- it affirms the honor ascribed to him, and, and all those who would have read or listened to this narrative would have had this affirmed in their own minds. But, but notice what happens on a few levels here. The goal is to shame Jesus and undo the honor bestowed upon him. And if Jesus was disloyal to his father, then it will bring upon the shame and undo the honor. But Jesus is successful, right? He successfully defends his honor as God's son. And he does this. And when he does this, he shames Satan, his accuser, by remaining loyal or faithful to his father. And in this way, and in this situation, Jesus represents that young boy who was raised to become an honorable man. (laughs) You see how this comes all the way back, 
back around and how all of this is interwoven into the fabric of the culture and uh, society. So good, right? So, so there it is. Hey, part five. Let this soak in a bit. Then go read the gospel accounts and take notice of the times that this tactic is being used. I'm telling you, it will help paint a more, should we say, first century image of uh, what's going on uh, for you. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, that's all I got for now. Part six is uh, coming soon, so be looking for that. Uh, grace and peace, and we'll talk to you soon.